Welcome back to the Evidence for Faith courses with Michael Lane, brought to you by our wonderful donors at evidenceforfaith.org. You can help us produce the next course by becoming a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org give. And while you're on the website, don't forget to check out some of our other courses and even live events and adventure trips we have going on, such as our marine biology trip down in the Florida Keys, or even our biblical archaeology experience down in Israel. You can find all these links and even more information down in the description. And if you've enjoyed today's course, don't forget to share it with a friend. Hi, welcome to Evidence for Faith. So glad you're joining me again today as we continue in our series on David's Guide to Leadership. Uh, this is I'm just so enjoying this series. I don't know if you are, but I sure am. And uh, getting into 1 Samuel, and this is before David becomes king, and getting to see leadership capabilities that not just for leaders and bosses um, in the in the world out there, but these are things that we can all learn to deepen our relationship with God. And this one today, um, this is the seventh lesson. This one is really important because it impacts every single person. All of us can learn from this one. It's entitled "Being a Victim." And I think many people, some of you listening maybe right now, have just realized you've been the victim of some prank or some person doing some type of thing that they shouldn't have done to you. I mean, this happens to us all the time. So let's see what what 1 Samuel, uh, God can tell us through 1 Samuel in the life of David, uh, what we can learn and apply to our life to help us to be uh, better people, better Christians, and better um, witnesses for Jesus Christ. But let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll get started. Father God, we thank you so much for this time we have. And again, as we open up your word, we pray that you will just open up our hearts and our minds to be able to see how do we fight the temptation for vengeance and and what should we do when we have been the brunt of practical jokes or even evil intent from others upon us. So teach us. May your Holy Spirit do the teaching, Lord, as we explore this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, our text today is from 1 Samuel 24, and as I said, this is called being a victim. But I'm going to, I'm going to let you in on something here as I start. As I always begin with uh, these things, telling you a story of some sort. This one is about me, and it's not. I'm going to tell you one of my less shining moments in my life when I did not handle a situation well at all. I be behaved badly, but I hope you can learn from the mistake that I made. Um, it's an embarrassing situation. I regret it to this day. Um, and uh, it, it's a story that took place many, many years ago when I was a new teacher at a school. One of the subjects I was hired to teach, <laughs> some of you might laugh at this, but I was actually, back in the 80s, I was hired to teach computer science. Um, I had taken some classes on it um, at a uh, community college, and I started teaching this at school. And um, so I'm teaching this subject at the school, and I come up with a really interesting, what I thought anyway, was a really great idea. 
You see, our school had purchased um, about a dozen or so new computers. And my job, one of my jobs at the School of Teaching, one of my assignments that I had was teaching computer programming to the students. Now, this was the age when home computers were just becoming possible. For those of you who are older and will recognize the names of this, the computers that we purchased were Apple II Plus. They had just come on the market. They were super expensive. But we had purchased about a dozen Apple II Plus computers and had set up an entire room in the school as a computer lab. The classes were great. The students absolutely loved them. But most of the parents had no idea what a computer was outside of something like on Star Trek or how could they be used in a classroom. So after school one day, I went to the superintendent of the school district with my idea. <clears throat> I told them that it would be a good PR move to have an open house in the computer lab for the parents. I could show the parents the watts, the highs, uh, the hows and whys and things of these machines and, and how we're using them in uh, curriculum and, and education. It would be a night, I said, that could promote parent interest in these machines and in our curriculum and also putting them at ease about uh, uh, the cost that the school had spent on these. After I explained the idea to the superintendent, he sat there listening intently to me, he sat back in his chair in deep thought. Quietly, he sat there. I could tell he was thinking and processing what I told him. And then he, he sat up in his chair straight and he told me that, Michael, this is not one of your more brilliant ideas. But he encouraged me to keep thinking and trying. Hmm. I do remember leaving his office that day feeling a little defeated because I, I thought this was a great idea. And I knew that many of the parents were not overjoyed at the little school spending thousands of dollars on these machines. And I thought this really could have been a way to sway them to be more accepting of the coming future of computers being in the homes and stuff also. In any case, I just sort of then filed this away in the back of my head. And I thought to myself, and I made a little note too, to put down, um, to remind myself in about a year, thinking that maybe next year I'll approach the superintendent and go, you know, try for this again. Well, I've forgotten now about it for a bit. It was almost a month later. All the teachers were required to gather for a meeting with the superintendent in the cafeteria after school. There he announced that he had a great idea to promote some public relations with our parents. He said that he came up with an idea of doing an open house in the computer room for the parents to see firsthand how we were utilizing computers in educating their children. Yeah, I sat there absolutely flabbergasted. And then, and then he asked me in the presence of all the teachers there if I would be interested in his idea because, as he said, the evening would only succeed if I was behind it. To be honest, I struggled to answer, but I finally said, yes, I, I thought it was a good idea. Mm -hmm, yeah, I can still remember how the staff all thought that it was a great idea, which actually that just added more fuel to my anger. Well, soon the day came, and the superintendent told me how the schedule would work that evening. 
uh, for the parents, and that he was going to lead most of the instruction and the demonstrations. He said that he just needed me to be there just to support him if something goes wrong. Boy, I have to admit right now, (laughs) I did not handle this wisely. I acted very immaturely. I was furious. I was so angry. I just let revenge just swell up inside me. But I, I, I did not let him see this side of me. I just smiled and told him that I would be very happy to do whatever I could to help him out. <laughs> well, that evening, during the open house, he was doing all the talking and the instruction. Where was I? I stood in a corner in the back of the room, just listening, nodding my head when he looked my way. Then he started talking about the curriculum and how it was being implemented and thus impacting our students. Now here he was, he was truly over his head. And as I was the one who wrote the curriculum and taught the classes, as the parents began to ask him pointed questions he couldn't answer, he finally turned towards me and asked for my help from across the room. <sighs> Sorry but my carnal flesh and sinful nature were tasting revenge like a lion right at that moment. I responded to him saying, I'm just the teacher. You're the leader of the school. Yeah, that was about all I said. Oh, I could feel his hatred across the room because I made him look as if he didn't know what was going on in his school. To make the situation worse, the parents all laughed and they started snickering at him at that moment. And as they did, all of a sudden it dawned on me, what have I done? That evening ended without either of us talking to each other as the parents left the building. The next morning before classes began, I was called into the superintendent's office and given a thorough tongue lashing. Now I knew I did wrong and not supporting him, and I I did. I humbly, I totally humbly apologized to him. He asked me why I had behaved the way I did, and I told him, to be honest, I'm, I'm a little jealous that he stole my idea that I'd passed, you know, that I had given him, and he passed it on as his own without giving me any credit in front of anybody. You see, there's a little bit of pride in that, too. I added that I I admit I acted childish, I acted immature. I I know I did this, I am truly sorry, and I promised him that in the future he could count on me for whatever he wanted me ever to do, I would never do this again. I repented, in other words. Well, I found him gracious, and he accepted my apology. And he actually said to me, I don't recall uh, you ever coming into my office and having this meeting that you say we had. Um, that you came up with this idea. He says, I have no memory of that. I told him, it doesn't matter now. And we never spoke of the incident again. And believe it or not, we became very, very close friends after that. How about that? How do you respond when people are mean to you, when they play pranks on you or try to get even with you? Or they're just being mean? The human flesh tells us to seek revenge when someone puts us down. But God tells us that this is not his plan for us, no. He wants us to forgive and let him deal with the offender. And I'll tell you, that is a hard assignment for any person, 
anyone in the, the fallen human race that is difficult. And we find our leader David in a very similar situation in 1 Samuel chapter 24. You see, David, if you'll recall, if you've been with us on the last lessons, and if not, I encourage you to go back and look at or listen to these. David has been run out of his country. He had to leave his wife, his family, his home, his belongings, even his weapons, his friends, all of this and more. Why? Because Saul was hunting him down like a varmint. Saul wanted David dead because the people loved and honored David more than they did him. Hmm, pride issue, huh? His solution? To kill David. Not just run him off, but murder him. Now, recall that currently David has become the leader of about 400 or so disgruntled men whom he has organized into a well-trained army. To do this, David has had to practice great leadership techniques, which God has given him, and we've talked about many of these already. He is now faced with a trial that does come to all of us who are mistreated. He's offered a chance for revenge. Let's take a look at it. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, the first seven verses, I'm going to read this. This is out of the English Standard Version, and we read, When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. When he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David rose and steadily cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. David had Saul at his mercy, alone in a cave. He didn't do a thing. David is given a chance to get back everything, if you realize this. He could now become the new king if he succumbed to the temptation of revenge. But this would not only be a sin, it would dishonor God in the presence of his followers. You know, David is actually given a second chance to take revenge, for the way Saul's mistreating him. But again, David refuses to yield to temptation. This is actually recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 26. I'm going to read verses 6 through 12, and we're going to see a similar situation, slightly different, but similar. It reads, Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zariah, Who will go with me into the camp of Saul and Abishai? said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army laid around him. Then Abishai said to David, 
God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I'll not need to strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. Who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him. On his day will come to die, or, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water. Let's go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Isn't that interesting? How David acted in such a remarkable way. I mean, I don't know if I could have done that. After being so mistreated by Saul, David is again given the situation and placed in it for revenge. But instead, he chooses to show mercy and not to yield to his sinful nature. Let me tell you, folks, if you are going to live on this planet, get prepared for something. You are going to be mistreated. You are going to be mistreated. It's going to happen more than once, too. Leaders sometimes are the ones that do it. Leaders many times mistreat their followers. But sometimes leaders also are just as much the victim as well. Um, why can I make such a claim as this so strong? It's simple. Man is a fallen and depraved creature. He's full of pride. Uh, look what Psalm 14, 1 through 3 reads. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable acts. There is none who is good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there's any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Thus, there's nobody who is righteous in the eyes of God. People make mistakes. People sin. And seeking revenge is a sin. God tells us this plain out in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and again in Romans 12. Uh, let me read these. I mean, it doesn't get any plainer in this. Deuteronomy 32, 35 reads, this is out of God's Word translation, I will take revenge and be satisfied. In due time their foot will slip because their day of disaster is near. Their doom is coming quickly. That is the Lord speaking. He will take revenge. Revengeance is his. Also in Romans 12, uh, verse 19, Paul writes, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Sure, it's hard not to seek revenge, especially when someone mistreats you. But look at Jesus. The very people whom he created mistreated him. They even killed him, thinking they were doing God a service, a favor. They didn't even recognize the Creator God when he came in human flesh. Yet, as he said in the garden, when the men, the soldiers came to arrest him, that he tells his disciples he could have sought vengeance right there. He says, this is in Matthew 26, verses 52 through 53. He tells Peter, put your sword back into its place. Do you think I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? 
You realize God could have ended it all right there? But out of love and grace, he didn't. Twelve legions of angels? Just think what they could do. We get a good idea. In 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, we read how just one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night that had surrounded Jerusalem. I can't even begin to fathom what 12 legions could, could do upon this planet. My friend, since we are corrupt and sinful, we must anticipate being mistreated. Anticipate. Don't retaliate. Charles Swindle, he's one of my favorite authors, and I love to listen to his program. He tells of a humorous story about revenge. Um, in his book called Hope Again, he writes this. Let me just read this out of, out of Hope Again. Maybe you heard about the fellow who was told by his physician, yes, indeed, you have rabies. Upon hearing this, the patient immediately pulled out a pad and a pencil and began to write. Thinking the man was making out his will, the doctor said, listen, this doesn't mean you're going to die. There's a cure for rabies. <laughs> I know that, said the man. I'm making a list of the people I'm going to bite. <laughs> I find it, that humorous, but that's how people's people, the, the human nature is. It's, it's not easy to forgive, but it is commanded of us. That's how God wants us to live. Jesus himself ended the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 with talks about being persecuted and how to react. He didn't tell us to seek revenge when we're mistreated. We're to let God be our avengers. I mean, he could do a lot better job than we can. Besides, God is all-powerful. He, he can do things in a lot better way than we can. I don't know if you've ever read Jonathan Edwards' classic Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Uh, if you've never read this, it, it, I do encourage you to read it. It's a, it's a sermon is what it is. Um, it's available in public domain. You can pull the thing down on the Internet and read it. But I want to read this for you, a section of it. It, it reads, The fury of God, the fierceness of Jehovah. Oh, how dreadful that must be. Who can utter or conceive what such expressions carry in them? But it is also the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, as though there would be a very great manifestation of his almighty power in what the fierceness of his wrath should inflict, as though omnipotence should be, as it were, engaged and exerted, as men are wont to exert their strength in the fierceness of their wrath. Oh, then, what will be the consequence? What will become of the poor worm that shall suffer it? Whose hand can be strong and whose heart can endure? To what dreadful and inexpressible, inconceivable depth of misery must the poor creature be sunk? Who shall be the subject of this? He's speaking on revenge. David was tempted to seek revenge on David. He had to be. He's human. Both his sinful nature urged him, as did his men, but he did not yield. Instead, he played a small joke on King Saul, and even this little action bothered his conscience. He told his men how he felt afterwards and used the teaching moment to lead his men. His words discouraged them from killing Saul. Um, and to, to even do this as an act of pleasing David. First uh, Samuel 24, verse 6 says, And he said to the men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to the Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. 
David used it as a teaching moment for his men. He did a wise thing as a leader here. He led his men to believe that an attack on Saul, the Lord's anointed king, was a sin, a serious sin. His example impacted them greatly, for though they were all armed, ready and willing to kill Saul, they held back, following David's example. Even David's actions of cutting off the swath off of Saul's robe as he was going to the bathroom was too serious of an offense against God's chosen king. So, what can we learn about leadership from David here? What can we apply to our lives? We must learn to fight the internal and natural desire to seek revenge when we are mistreated. I know that's a big, tall order, but that's what we are required to do. I know it's a hard lesson to put into practice, but that is why we must rely upon God to help us, to free us from this sinful inclination, which is the bondage of flesh. To forgive being mistreated is one of the hardest lessons we will learn in this life. To forgive, we need to seek God's power. Only through his power can we be free of this kind of bondage. Remember, seeking revenge is a sin. And we Christians have nailed our sinful past on the cross of Christ, and it was crucified with him. We are free from the desire of revenge only if we seek his help in conquering it. I want to lead you, leave you with uh, one last little short story here. Um, it's actually from a pastor named Ray Stedman. It was a sermon he entitled, How to Hug. Uh, this is from back in the 1970s, but it's, it's a humorous little story here talking about revenge. And I thought I'd just end with this. Some fellows were stationed in Korea during the Korean War. While there, they hired a local boy to cook and clean for them. Being a bunch of jokesters, these guys soon took advantage of the boy's seeming naivety. They'd smear Vaseline on the stove handle so that when he turned the stove on in the morning, he'd have greasy fingers. They put little water buckets over doors so that he would get deluged when he opened the door. They'd even, they even nailed his shoes to the floor during the night. Day after day, this little fella took the brunt of all their practical jokes without saying anything. No blame, no self-pity, no temper tantrums. Finally, the men felt guilty about what they were doing. So they sat down with the young Korean and said, look, look. We know that these pranks aren't funny anymore, and we are truly sorry. We're, we're never going to take advantage of you again. Now, this seemed too good to be true to the houseboy. No more sticky on stove? He asked. Nope. No more water on door? Nope. No more nail shoes to floor? Nope, never again. Okay, said the boy with a smile. No more spit in soup. Father God, we thank you for this time. And this is a hard lesson for all of us to learn, but through your power, we can do anything. And I know times come upon us, and maybe many who are listening right now are struggling with the temptation to get revenge. But Lord, help us to over, overlook, to be gracious like you are, to forgive. And then not keep bringing it up, just let it go. And we thank you 
for how much you love us and how you do this for us so often. So help us as we continue to grow in you. And thank you for the example of David that you've given us in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thanks for joining me today, and I hope you've enjoyed this lesson. We'd love to hear from you at evidenceforfaith.org. Please contact us. Um, and we are uh, a listener-supported. Um, just through donations is how this ministry works. As we try to get the, the story of Jesus out and add to people's faith. So until we meet again, take care and may God bless. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to help us produce the next course, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org give. And don't forget to use some of the other links in our description. You can find out more about Evidence for Faith and what we do as a ministry and even sign up to some of our programs. And if you've enjoyed today's course, don't forget to share it with a friend so they can benefit from it too. And with that, we hope to see you on the next course.